0: Well, in this lesson, we have two very full and very somber chapters, Revelation chapters 17 and 18. These chapters are entitled Desolation and Destruction. We see the desolation of the harlot in chapter 17, and we see the destruction of Babylon in chapter 18. It's very important that we properly interpret these two chapters and fit them in in the right place during the tribulation period. But first of all, let's let's discover what's happening here. These two chapters are informational chapters. You know that the rapture is gonna be the next event on God's prophetic calendar, and that's going to usher in the tribulation period. The tribulation period actually starts with the Antichrist uh, signing a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, and then he's going to desecrate the temple and break the treaty in the middle of the tribulation, and then the last half of the tribulation period is called the Great Tribulation, where it's open season on Israel. God will protect a great number of them, but the Jews will be persecuted like they've never been persecuted before. And then Jesus comes back. Well, in these two chapters, these two chapters, John is describing the Lamb, Jesus, his step-by-step victory over the beast and his kingdom. In chapter 17, we see the religious system is judged. In chapter 18, political and economic Babylon falls. And these are very disturbing chapters, but let me point you to chapter 19 because Jesus comes back, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so that is in the next lesson, but we have to get through these two difficult chapters, chapters 17 and 18. There's a lot of symbolism in these two chapters, and there's probably a very good reason for that. Because this message would encourage believers in any period of church history. He uses symbols that we can identify for. We see the true church as the pure virgin. We'll see that in Revelation 19, 7 and 8. But we see the false religious system as the harlot who's abandoned the truth and prostituted herself for personal gain. And so instead of just writing about something that's going to happen at the end time, we can see that Jesus is um, waiting. He is Um, molding the church into the pure virgin bride that he wants us to be. Uh, Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. That gives you a a glimpse of what Jesus wants the church to be. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul was jealous over the Corinthians. He wanted to present the Corinthians and the other believers that he was the spiritual father of, and the people he had discipled, he wanted to present them to Jesus as a pure virgin. And we're going to see that the church is a true virgin, true pure virgin, in Revelation nineteen seven and 8. So in chapter 17 of Revelation, we see this harlot who is the epitome of the false religious system. And really the point of that is this would encourage believers in any period of church history because every age has had a harlot and every age has had a Babylon, a false worship, economic and political dealings, and all of that in a society that hates God and everything that God stands for. So we're going to encounter a lot of symbolism uh, in these two chapters uh, tonight. Well, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 17. We first see an invitation in verses 1 and 2. And the invitation is to John, John, see what God's going to do. See what he's going to do. Look at Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, come... I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So we see right off the bat an invitation. I want you to see what God's going to do. I want to invite you to see this harlot and you'll notice that the agent Uh, here in verse one is one of the seven angels who have the seven bowls. So it's a judging angel. It's someone who has been involved in God's judgment and now he's going to be dealing with John in the desolation of the harlot. Look at the description in verses three through six. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the mourners martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. This is quite a scene. John's carried away in the spirit into the wilderness, and he sees this. Well, really, when you go back to Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve, Genesis 2 speaks of a pure bride in a lovely garden. But by the Bible's end, Civilization has degenerated to an impure harlot in a wilderness, and that is what sin does to the world. So we're going to see that. The woman is identified with the city. We'll see that in the rest of the chapter. This woman is prosperous and powerful, but blasphemous and dangerous. This woman is the great harlot and the mother of harlots. So in order to see that this is false religion, turn back to Genesis chapter 10, and I always want to read all the scripture for you, because many of you tell me that you listen while you're riding in your car, and while you're doing work around the house. So I want to make sure I read the scripture so that you know, uh, so that you can hear the word, because the most important thing we can do in any Bible lesson is to read the word of God. First of all, in Genesis 10, we see really the father of Babylon, so to speak, is Nimrod. In Genesis 10:8, Cush begot Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And then we see Nimrod and his work in chapter 11 of Genesis. This is the Tower of Babel, it's the Babel Crisis. And Genesis eleven one says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Lest we make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there, over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is where, in Babylon, where the Tower of Babel was uh, was attempted to be built, this is where this civilization against God started. This is the seat of sin right here where in the very close to where the Garden of Eden was located. So Genesis 2 speaks of a pure bride. Revelation 17 talks about an impure harlot. But we see that this great harlot, the mother of harlots, this Babylonian system has given birth to all false religions. So what Nimrod did in Genesis 11 gave birth to the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of false worship that has permeated history. It has happened throughout history. Now, before we go any further, just remember, I'm sure that for those of you who are lovers of history, many, many true believers have been put to death by the church, by the pope, by the name of religion. There were, there were Christians put to death because they wanted to have the Bible in their own language, in their own hands. And the church said, we will have none of that. When the church was being translated from Latin into the common language of the people, true believers were put to death in the name of religion. So this false religion, this harlot that was begun by Nimrod in Genesis 11, this spirit has been around ever since and will culminate In this false religion, this religious Babylon that we see in Revelation chapter 17. Well, there's a great explanation in verses 7 through 18. Aren't you glad that we have the meaning of the woman and the beast as the angel describes to John? So let's take a look at verses 7 through 18. And then we'll we'll finish reading chapter 17, verse 7. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom, The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings, Who have received no kingdom as yet, but they received authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Wow, we have much to cover here. We first of all, we saw the description of Babylon in verses 1 through 7. We saw the agent that God was using, the angel, and then we have the details in verses, many details in verses 1 through 6. And then we have the harlot, and we have political power in verse 3. Because he says, And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Now that scarlet, is the color of Satan. We saw that in Revelation 12.3. It's the color of sin, according to Isaiah 118. But this woman is riding or is sitting on that beast. And that beast was full of names of blasphemy. And we're going to see that that beast is a kingdom and kingdoms. And so that just tells us that this harlot, this religious system, it's going to be politically aligned with the beast and so for a while the antichrist is going to be it's going to be politically expedient for him to coexist with this religious system so there's political power in verse 3 there's glory in verse 4 she's arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with all kinds of good stuff but there's also it's counterfeit And it's also, this woman is in line or in federation with the Antichrist and with his false kingdoms. We see that this woman, this religious system is a persecutor in verse six, but there's a promise in verse seven. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. Isn't it interesting that in verse five, it says, mystery Babylon, the great. And I'll tell you why that's so interesting. I used to think that that was an mystery was an adjective, mystery Babylon, but it really isn't. It's an appositive. It's a noun. Mystery is another name for Babylon the Great. We know from reading the New Testament that the church was a mystery. Jews and Gentiles being one in the body of Christ was a mystery. And it's something that is spiritually discerned. And the same thing goes for this mystery. This is a false church. This is a false Christianity, a false religion. And this is mystery, Babylon the Great. And this mystery needs to be spiritually discerned, just like the true church. It's interesting that we have a, um, a city, the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, but also toward the end of Revelation, we're going to see the new heaven and the new earth coming down from heaven as it were a bride adorned for her husband. So the true church is a bride, and it's also a city. The false church is a city, as we saw in verse 18, and it's also a harlot And so there's a lot of contrast and a lot of comparison, but we have the promise in verse 7, John, why are you marveling? Can you imagine why John's marveling? He's saying, this is the church? He can't believe it. And the angel's saying, why are you marveling? I'm going to tell you about this woman, this beast. Well, there's matters that concern Babylon in verses 8 through 15. We see the beast. Let's take this verse by verse. First of all, this woman is drunk with the blood of the saints in verse 6 and with blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So the church, not the church, the false church, this false religion is going to be persecuting and killing true believers. And John marvels. Then he starts to explain in verse 8. Now this is a lot of information in these two chapters, so hang in there and I'm going to go verse by verse so that you understand where we're going with this. Verse 8 tells us that the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And so this, this beast was alive, then was not, and was ascended out of the bottomless pit. I believe he's talking about the Antichrist with this mortal head wound. A lot of people believe that it's, he's going to be critically injured, and it's like it should have killed him, but it really didn't, and he'll rise again. I believe that he really will die, and God's going to allow Satan to uh, make him rise from the dead, just because he's a counterfeiter and he's an imitator. But this beach, beats, beast rather, is going to be energized by Satan. It says he'll ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those people are going to follow the beast, it says in verse 8 when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Because he was, then he died, and then he was raised. And then in verse 9, it talks about the heads. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. This is very intriguing. Because many people see this and immediately they say, this is Rome, and this is the Roman Catholic Church. Now, it may be Rome, because Rome was a city built on seven hills. But, you know, if you do a little research, there are at least 51 cities around the world that are purported to have been built on seven hills. 51 of them. Rome is one of them. There's a city in Ukraine, Rio de Janeiro, Cincinnati, Ohio, all built on seven hills. And yet, how can we make the leap that a certain church is going to be the false church? This is simply going to be a false church that pretends to be followers of the true God, but is not. And I'm not willing to name a denomination or a particular faith as being the false church. This may be Rome. We're going to find out This city may be Babylon. I don't think it's Cincinnati but I believe it could be certainly could be Rome or Babylon because verse 18 says and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth now let me interject this right here some people have a hard time digesting the fact that Babylon is a city and a system let me try to make that easy for you have you ever heard of Wall Street Wall Street is a city I mean, Wall Street is a street, rather. But it's also the financial center of the United States. Could be the financial center of the world. So, Wall Street is a street, yet it's a system. Madison Avenue is a street in New York City. But it's also the center of the advertising world. And so, you you could go on and on. You get the idea. So, just like... Wall Street, and Madison Avenue. Babylon is a city, and I personally believe Babylon will be rebuilt, if not right before the tribulation period, then during the tribulation period. But Babylon is going to be a religious, political, economic system, but it's also going to be a city that I believe will be rebuilt. But he says here, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And then he says, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Here's how I interpret these verses. Um, There were seven, the seven kings that he's talking about when he says five have fallen, Many people try to make the emperors of Rome fit because you know from the book of Daniel, the image, the, uh, the head of gold, the chest of silver, etc. We were talking about Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Those were four world powers. And there's two legs, which means Rome was going to reign twice, two, two reignings for Rome. And then the feet become ten toes. And we'll get into the ten kingdoms, the ten horns in a, in a couple of minutes. But there's really no five emperors of Rome that we can say, okay, these are the five. We can't, we can't pick out the five most important or the five most powerful or the five most cruel. Here's what makes sense to me. These seven kings here that it talks about in verse 10. Five have fallen. And I believe that these are the five Uh, world rulers, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. In John's day, those five had ruled the then known world. So the five that were fallen were those five kingdoms, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Uh, Greece. Then Rome is the one that is in verse 10. Rome was ruling when John was on the earth writing this, and the other has not yet come. That's again Rome as a revived Roman Empire. And then we have the kingdom of the beast. He's going to reign in that revived Roman Empire. So those are the seven kings, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the revived Roman Empire, the kingdom of the beast. Because when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was the Antichrist, verse 11, is also the eighth. Because he's going to set up the revived Roman Empire. And then he's going to die. And then he's going to be revived. So he'll be the eighth kingdom. Because he wants to be worshipped. And so the seven heads could be geographically Rome, in verse 9 but the seven heads in verse 10 are historical kingdoms and future kingdoms. In scripture, a mountain is a kingdom if it's not named. So it may not be geographical kingdoms. It could be just, we're talking about kingdoms here. So the beast was both one of the seven kings and kingdoms, but also the eighth. And you know, in in times past, The Babylonians, when Nimrod started this mess in Genesis uh, chapter 11, uh, he had a wife and gave birth to a child and they worshiped that mother and child. The Babylonians worshiped mother and child, like some people worship Mary and Jesus, and they believed in the death and the resurrection of that son. So the Babylonians worshiped that for centuries before Jesus uh, even came and lived and died. And so this harlot's desolation is compared to the desolation of Jezebel in 2 Kings 9, 30 through 37. And so those are the seven kings that were mentioned. And in verses 16 to 18, we see religious Babylon, who sought political alliances and power, will in the end be destroyed by a political alliance. Here's how all that plays out. Look at verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom of yet, but they received authority for one hour as kings with the beast. They're of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So here's what's going to happen. This is in the first half of the tribulation period. That Remember when we read Daniel. Daniel mentions that this little horn is going to be be part of a ten-nation confederacy that we believe is the revived Roman Empire. And there's gonna be political alliances and this little horn, he's gonna rise up and he's gonna take out three of these other horns and he's gonna establish his power that way. But for a time, these 10 horns, these 10 nations, these 10 kingdoms, they're gonna make up the revived Roman Empire, are gonna need this religious system and they're gonna be politically aligned and they're both gonna be powerful. But it's pretty clear that whoever the leader of this religious system is, is not going to be liked by the Antichrist or by the false prophet. And when it's expedient for them to do so, probably at the middle of the tribulation period, these 10 kings are going to make war with this beast, this harlot, and the harlot will be made desolate. The 10 nations make her desolate. This is probably Early on, I mean, this is probably in the first half of the tribulation period because we know that the Antichrist takes out three of the horns. But they're going to make war with the lamb then and then the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who with Jesus, verse 14, are called, chosen, and faithful. You'll notice in verse 15 that he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people's multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so waters is people, multitudes. We saw that. She's sitting on waters, which we said the sea stands for people. And so this is going to be a worldwide false religious system. And it will be prevalent in the first half of the tribulation period, and it will be politically aligned with the Antichrist. But then in verse 16, the ten horns will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So they're going to turn on her around the middle of the tribulation period and put an end to this religious system. Why do I say the middle of the tribulation? Because that's when the Antichrist will desecrate the temple, set up an image in the temple. He's going to want to be worshipped. So he's going to put to death this false system because he wants to be worshipped. But notice one very important part in verse 17. God put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose for them to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And so this woman... It's going to be a city, but it's going to be a system. And it's going to be politically aligned with the Antichrist until she no longer serves his purpose. He's going to turn on her. And there's going to be a pressure to conform to this popular religion and to abandon the fundamentals of the faith. And so God is saying to those who overcome, blessed are you who overcome here in verse 17. And all of this fulfills the uh, the purposes and the will of God. I hope that wasn't too much for you in chapter 17. It was a lot. It's a lot to try to take in. So just remember this. In the first part of the tribulation period, there's going to be a false church. It's the same spirit that has been ever since Genesis 11. Nimrod instituted Babylon. The spirit of Babylon, false worship false false religion has been around since Genesis 11. It's gonna be around in the tribulation period in the person of this harlot. So this harlot will be a city and a system, a religious system, and it's gonna be politically aligned with the Antichrist and these other rulers. And when it's expedient for them, they're gonna hate the harlot the whole time. And when they have an opportunity, the Antichrist is gonna set himself up as God and put an end to this religious system. That's the best way I know how to put Revelation chapter 17. That's the destruction, uh, or that's the desolation of the harlot. All right, let's move on to chapter 18. Chapter 18 is the destruction of Babylon. Now we're talking economic and political Babylon. Now let me tell you right away here now, I'm going to give you the timeline here. The harlot in chapter 17 is put to death in the middle of the tribulation period. The destruction of Babylon that we see in Revelation 18 is at the end of the tribulation period, very close to when Jesus comes back. So we see several voices in chapter 18. We see the voice of condemnation in verses 1 through 3. We see the voice of separation in verses 4 through 8. The voice of lamentation in verses 9 through 19 and the voice of celebration in verses 20 through 24. this is going to be this is an ancient city i believe it is a system but i also believe that it will be a physical geographical city the city of babylon because the old testament seemed to prophesy that babylon would be destroyed never to be rebuilt again And I don't really think that ever occurred in the Old Testament. So I believe that Babylon will be rebuilt and then God will judge Babylon and will destroy Babylon and never to be rebuilt again. Because Babylon is a powerful empire and it's a symbol of mankind's rebellion against God. Started with Nimrod, continues today. It will culminate in this powerful empire that we'll read about in chapter 18. So John hears these voices. Let's look at the voice of condemnation in verses 1 through 3. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon, the great, has fallen, has fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. This is the voice of condemnation. This was anticipated in chapter 14 and chapter 16 that Babylon is going to fall. There's no two ways about that. Babylon is going to fall and this is an announcement of the judgment. So we've got this judgment coming. Why? Because Babylon has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And you were wondering, what do birds have to do with this? Well, do you remember the, the parables that Jesus told? First of all, he says the parable of the sower and the seeds, that the birds come and and eat the seeds before they could take root That is a picture of Satan. And in the parable of the mustard seed, where we've got the the true believers in in a tree growing, that the Christendom is going to grow, but the birds are in the branches, which means Satan is going to try to infiltrate even the church. And so he's pictured as birds. Satan and his demons are pictured as birds. So Babylon, the city, Babylon, the system, is demons through and through, it's going to include drug use, it's going to include sexual immorality, it's going to include idolatry, sins that we can't even imagine are going to run rampant in Babylon because the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And that doesn't simply just mean sexual sin, this simply means sins of all kind, idolatry, greed, lust, Uh, It all goes back to Genesis chapter 11 with Nimrod saying, Let us make a name for ourselves. Romans 1 is the lie is that the creature ought to be worshipped and not the creator. Here it is. Here's the lie again. Here's where we want to have what we want. We want to be materially blessed. We want to have all the fun we want to have. And this is just indicative of Babylon the Great is nothing but demon possession through and through, sin through and through. It includes uh, merchants, so it's economic. It includes kings, verse 3, so it's political. So this is a political and economic system, and it's going to be condemned. It is condemned here, and it's going to be judged well, let's take a look. And if you wanted to read the picture of Satan regarding birds, read Matthew thirteen thirty-one and 32. Well, here's the voice of separation and also an appeal in view of the judgment in verses four through eight. Look at verse four. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render, her, render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which he has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. This is not only an appeal in in view of the judgment. In view of this judgment, God is saying in verse 4, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. This is the voice of separation. This is a plea for separation. And I'm going to develop this more more fully uh, in the application. So let's just leave it at that right now, that God wants us to be separate. Well, let let me more fully develop it now. Remember when God called Abraham... He was in Ur of the Chaldees. We learn in the book of Joshua that Abraham lived in a city and a family of idolatry. And so God is saying, Abraham, I want you to come out of that. And I want you to go to a land that I've got for you. Anytime that uh, that, that God wanted Israel, uh, anytime God talked to Israel, Israel wanted uh, God wanted Israel out of Egypt Then he wanted them not to do the things that the other nations around them were doing. He wanted them to be separate, and yes, he wants us to be separate. So he's saying that Babylon, this wicked system, is going to be judged doubly, render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. God is concocting a portion of judgment for her And he's saying, I want you, my people, to come out and be separate. Don't be part of that. That's an appeal in the face of of condemnation and judgment. Plagues are going to come on her in one day. We see that a couple of times in this chapter. One day. Mia Ora. Now, it could be exactly one hour, or it might mean in a very short period of time. So when we're talking about economic, and we're talking about political Babylon, I know there's a book out now by Dr. David Jeremiah about the coming economic collapse, and and I totally understand that, and I totally agree with it. I believe that we will collapse economically. But you know what, folks? I read a book 30 years ago that scared me to death that the financial world was going to fall apart then. It could happen today. It could be another 50 years. But one day, God's going to say, enough, and he's going to Pull the plug on the financial world, the economic world, the political world, and in a very short period of time, Babylon will be judged. We just happened this year, in the year 2010, the stock market plunged 600 points in 15 minutes. Can you imagine if that is allowed to happen? The whole financial crisis, the whole financial world could crumble in a matter of hours or one hour. We've seen it. And it's not a stretch to know that it might happen in our day. Well, the next is the voice of lamentation or anguish because of the judgment here. That, that, let's look at it both ways here. I'm, I'm giving you a couple of different ways to look at this chapter. But let's look at verses 9 through 19. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendor have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and many as trade on the sea stood at a distance, and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city?" They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Wow. This is the voice of lamentation. Because they're saying here, it's going to happen. There is anguish because of the judgment. We see kings are in anguish. So that's political. We see merchants in verses eleven through the first part of verse seventeen, and then we see sea merchants. We have virtually every walk of life here affected. Did you notice all of the uh, all of the ways of life, so to speak? All of the the merchants, the merchandise, the commodities, the uh, all of the different. Uh, all of the different ways of merchandising and ways of making a living are going to be affected. They're going to be, they are lamenting the fact that the kings of the earth and the merchants were aligned with Babylon, making money over Babylon, with Babylon and through Babylon. And they're going to see the destruction of Babylon and they are upset and mourning because they say it's over. And it happens so quickly. It happened in an hour. So we've got the Voice of lamentation. We're lamenting Babylon. There's kings. So business and government are intertwined and they're all very upset. You know what upsets me in this? And that is the very last part of verse 13 when he's mentioning all of these areas of economics. It says bodies and souls of men. Could it be that we're going to de-evolve or devolve in such a way? You know that this this has to do with devaluing human life. We saw that in the Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. We devalued life in the United States of America with the era of slavery that we had. We are devaluing life right now because we are aborting babies. We are euthanizing older people. We are choosing pe- who, pe- who has a quality of life and who doesn't. And it looks like this will continue and that men and women will be devalued because there's going to be trading of the bodies and the souls of men. That's the way I read this verse and that's what I think this means. I really cannot get away from this verse and you know that this is true, that we are devaluing human life. And I've said this many times. I believe this is a quote from Billy Graham that said that God will judge the United States of America or he will have to apologize for Sodom to, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And believe me, folks, he will not apologize because God is just and he has a basis for judgment. And the way we have valued human life or not valued human life in this country will bring down the judgment of God. And so we see he is judging. Now notice one thing. God used men to judge religious Babylon in chapter 17. He will judge economic and political uh, Babylon himself in chapter 18. So we see the voice of lamentation, and we see anguish because of the judgment in these verses. And then as we close this chapter in verses 20 through 24, we see a claim over the judgment and we see the voice of celebration in verses 20 through 24. Look at this. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence, The great city Babylon shall be thrown down, and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flautists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more, and the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, and and by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Here's the voice of celebration. Now we should compare, and I'll let you do this, we should compare of chapter 18 verse 24 with Matthew 23:35 and with Revelation chapter 17:6 about the shedding of blood the blood of the prophets and the saints Jesus spoke about it we've seen it in Revelation and we are celebrating now because God is judging and that great millstone is that's the final judgment he threw it into the sea with violence Babylon shall be thrown down not found anymore, that fulfills Old Testament prophecy. And he's saying the sound, musical instruments, no craftsmen. So economics, done. Music, finished. No bridegroom or bride. The very events of life, normal events of life are finished because Babylon is judged. Why? For your merchants, verse 23, were the great men of the earth, For by your sorcery, and that's where we get our English word pharmacy, so drug use is prevalent. And so we've got politics, we've got materialism, we've got drug use. And Babylon, verse 24, in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. So Babylon caused the death of a lot of God's saints. Satan had used religion and business to persecute God's people. So we see the voice of celebration in verses 20 to 24 because Babylon is destroyed. Now remember, chapter 17, destruction through the hand of man, fulfilling God's purpose in the middle of the tribulation. Chapter 18, destruction at the end of the tribulation period by God Himself. So we had an announcement of that judgment an invitation to be separate. A lot of people are going to be anguished because of that judgment, but then we rejoice in verses 20 to 24. That's a lot to take in, I know, but let me wind this up with application. Very important that you not miss this. First of all, Babylon is fallen. We saw it in chapter 14. We saw it in chapter 16. We didn't even know what Babylon was, but now we know that it's a city and a system. Religious, political, economic. And Babylon is as good as destroyed because the scripture says is fallen, is fallen. Repeats it for emphasis. The tense indicates it's a done deal. Nothing that Satan can do is going to avoid this. So Babylon is fallen. A key principle that I do not want you to miss is chapter 18, verse 4. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins. I want to direct your attention to John chapter 17. This is a principle. You know, know, this is very difficult sometimes whenever you have such a discouraging passage that the world's going to collapse economically. Millions are going to be led astray by this false religious system. Uh, There's going to be unbelievable sin and immorality and materialism on planet Earth. It's very hard to get application, but God has given us a wonderful application in the form of separation. He wants us to come out. And if you think he wants them to come out then, don't you think he wants to be separate? Just like he called Abraham out of idolatry, just like he called Israel out of Egypt. Remember, John 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer. In the first few verses of John 17, he prays for himself: "Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you." Then he prays for his disciples. He says they're all mine. Now I'm no longer in the world. Verse 11. He says, I, verse 9. He says, "I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours." Verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that's Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And he goes on to pray for us all believers starting with verse 20. But it's very important that we get that. God wants us to be separate. We have to live in this world, but we are to be not of the world. We're to be salt and light, but not blend in. We have contact with the world, but not contamination by the world. So that's a key principle that we cannot miss. Another application is God's purposes will be accomplished. Nothing Satan can do to change this. God will have his purposes done. In chapter 17, he put it into men's hearts to destroy the false religious system. And in chapter 18, he himself judges Babylon. His His purposes will be accomplished. And, and you, you remember we read in verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Folks, we are not rejoicing because people are going to be doomed and destroyed and sent to the lake of fire. We are only rejoicing because God is holy and just, and he's making things right. Our hearts should break over the people who are gonna be cast into the lake of fire. And we should do everything in our power to show Jesus to everybody that we see day in and day out in the workplace, in the classroom, in the home, in the neighborhood, and so there is a lot of destruction and we're not rejoicing over people who are eternally going to be uh, destroyed and separated from God. But we are rejoicing that God is holy, God is just, he will judge, he'll do it righteously, and he'll make everything right. Well, lastly, his promises are sure. Everything God has ever promised will be fulfilled we've seen many of his promises fulfilled already in the pages of scripture and we've seen his promises uh, fulfilled throughout our lifetime and you know what if you believe that what about the rest of the promises in his word if you believe he's going to judge Babylon if you believe his purposes are going to be accomplished what about his promises to you That he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll stick closer than a brother. Fear not for he's with you. What he started in your life he will complete. He's given you the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a down payment, that you will be conformed to the image of Christ. That is a powerful application. So these are distasteful uh, chapters. They're hard to take. But his promises are sure, his purposes will be accomplished, he wants us to separate, and here's the greatest news of all, next week, Jesus is coming back. Jesus will return. When we turn to chapter 19, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is coming back. So next time we see Jesus come back and he sets up his kingdom in chapter 20, the millennial reign. That is wonderful. So just remember, chapter 17 is religious Babylon. God puts it in the men's hearts. The Antichrist and some of his rulers that are supposedly ruling with him, he's really ruling. They're going to, in the middle of the tribulation, God puts it in their heart to put an end to this false religion. And then in chapter 18, we have economic and political Babylon judged by God at the end of the tribulation period babylon's fallen god wants us separate his purposes will be accomplished there's lots of destruction but we're thankful that god is holy and just and righteous his promises are sure we can trust it because he cannot lie and jesus is coming back let's pray father thank you so much for the word thank you that we can stand on the word we know it's true it's been we've proven it time and time and time again that you can't lie, your promises are sure. And Lord, these are discouraging chapters for many, many untold thousands or millions of people. They're gonna be eternally separate from you. But Lord, you have asked us, you have commanded us to be separate. Help us to walk intimately with you and be in the world but not of the world. And help us to walk closely with you day by day so that we're salt and light and that people see Jesus and it will change their eternal destiny. Thank you for the word, for its power, its relevance. Thank you that you're holy and just and righteous, and that we can count on you. We want glory for you, and we need, we need you to be glorified, and we want you to build us up in the process of us glorifying you. Thank you for what you're going to do in these remaining chapters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.